Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new monthly edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes today. American Funds Distributors, Inc. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. Good morning. It's Tuesday, the 24th of October in London. This is the Bloomberg Daybreak Europe podcast. I'm Stephen Carroll. Coming up today, Hamas frees two more hostages from Gaza as the US sends more forces to the Middle East. Bond bears beware. The billionaire investors Bill Ackman and Bill Gross abandon their short position on US treasuries. Plus, Bloomberg's list of 25 UK startups to watch, ranging from the content platform OnlyFans to a wearable brain scanner company. Let's start with a roundup of our top stories. Hamas has freed two more hostages from the Gaza Strip. The two elderly women were released to the International Committee of the Red Cross, while more than 200 others are still being held by militants. The move is giving some Israeli officials calls to rethink the scope of a planned ground invasion of Gaza. Bloomberg's Michael Heath says the releases are helping diplomatic calls for restraint. This movement of people coming out encourages leaders to encourage Israel to engage and, and to, to hold off in terms of the ground invasion until they can get more people out. Uh, Qatar and Egypt negotiated this, this release. So at this stage, uh, we're still waiting on the ground operation and obviously there's still talks going on with the hostages. Um, President Joe Biden has said once the hostages are released, we can start talking about a ceasefire. Our reporter Michael Heath pointing out that US President Joe Biden appeared to suggest a ceasefire could be discussed if all hostages were released. Now, one of the two women freed in Gaza was a British citizen. Prime Minister Rishi Sunak told MPs that Hamas must be held accountable. Hamas is not only a threat to Israel, but to many others across the region. All the leaders I met agree that this is a watershed moment. It's time to set the region on a better path. The Prime Minister also announced more aid would be sent to Gaza. Only a fraction of normal supplies are being allowed into the territory. The EU's chief diplomat, Josep Borrell, says aid is his top priority. We have to start thinking of how to revive the political process. But the priority at that moment is to make humanitarian support going into Gaza. Joseph Burrell, the EU High Representative for Foreign Affairs, joining the international calls for restraint. China's Foreign Minister Wang Yi, meanwhile, reiterating that Israel must protect civilians and abide by humanitarian law, even as it has the right to defend itself. Some of the bond market's most prominent bears are saying the route in US Treasuries has gone too far. Pershing Square founder Bill Ackman says he's unwound his bet against US government bonds. Bloomberg's Janali Basak explains why. The reason he is taking off this short position now is he says there's too much risk in the world to remain short bonds at current long-term rates. The economy is slowing faster than recent data suggests. So that implies uh, worries about a further bid in the bond market, perhaps a haven bid as the economy starts to slow down. 
As Shanali Basak notes, their Ackman's scepticism on the health of the US economy stands in contrast to surprisingly strong recent economic data. PIMCO co-founder Bill Gross agrees he's predicting a recession by the end of the year and says he's buying short-dated interest rate futures. The Bank of Japan has announced an unscheduled bond buying operation, the fifth since tweaking its yield curve control back in July. The traders are testing the central bank's reserves ahead of next week's policy meeting. The BOJ's loose monetary policy is also contributing to the depreciation of the yen, which is the worst performing G10 currency this year. Chevron is buying a piece of the world's largest oil discovery of the past decade. The oil major agreeing to buy the energy company Hess for $53 billion. Chevron CEO Mike Worth says the deal doesn't change the company's green commitments. I don't think you should read this as a lack of commitment to the energy transition, but we need to invest in what the world runs on today. This makes us a stronger producer. It takes two great American companies and brings them together, which is good for national security and economic security. And we're committed, both of our companies are committed to a lower carbon energy system. Worth's mega deal is the second in the last few weeks for the oil industry. Exxon threw $58 billion into acquiring Pioneer, a sign both US giants see fossil fuels in the energy mix for decades to come. And the head of Virgin Atlantic Airways says the war between Israel and Hamas is deterring travel across portions of the Middle East. Speaking to Bloomberg, the carrier's head said the impact on travel may extend beyond the specific flight restrictions recently put in place. You know, the situation in Israel, of course, after the atrocities of uh, October the 7th is, is still unpredictable. So I think there are, right now, the, the, the major impact has been, of course, people are not flying into Israel. And because of that, they're not flying also to the area, uh, into Jordan, into, into Egypt, into other uh, locations. The warning from Shai Weiss of Virgin Atlantic underscores uncertainty in the air travel market after the conflict led carriers to suspend services to Tel Aviv earlier this month. And if you want to hear that full interview, you can find it on the Bloomberg Talks podcast, all of our most important conversations in one place. Let's turn back, though, to the latest that we've heard from the Middle East, those two more hostages released from Gaza. More than 200 others, of course, still being held by Hamas after they were captured during the October 7th uh, attack on southern Israel. Uh, Meanwhile, the US President Joe Biden and Benjamin Netanyahu speaking again by phone, discussing US deployments to the region, among other issues. Let's get the latest now from Tel Aviv and go to Bloomberg's Oliver Crook, who's there for us this morning. Oliver, good morning. What is the latest on events there overnight? Yes, as you mentioned, another two hostages freed, which is a meaningful development. Two elderly women taken from a kibbutz about two kilometers from the sort of border fence with uh, Gaza. We understand their husbands in their 80s are still uh, being held. And this was brokered by Qatar, yes, but also we understand that Egypt was part of this conversation. And as you say, Benjamin Netanyahu and Biden spoke about this on the phone. There is also the question of aid, which the U.S. has been very active in. And we understand that 35 trucks crossed into Gaza yesterday, which would be the greatest number to have crossed um, since the beginning of this crisis, however, still somewhat short of what the U.N. says will be, you know, really minimum of 100 a day in order to make meaningful progress there. Okay, let's look then at some of the the efforts being made diplomatically and and what hope that might give to the more than 200 hostages that still remain captured in Gaza. As you say, two more hostages being added to the two others that were freed over the weekend. 
Yeah, I think it's very difficult to get a read on that only because everyone who is involved in this is all through back channels and they're not really wanting to reveal a lot of the information that they're getting. We know that it is a top priority for basically every leader who has any citizens being held, certainly for the Israelis, certainly for the United States. And we know that Qatar is playing a very key role in those discussions. Again, the question also is how does this bear on the potential ground offensive, which we you know, had been expecting for a long period of time. And now who's, I think, nature and scope is certainly being recalibrated or reconsidered on a very active basis from much of the reporting that we're doing, partially and as a function of the hostages, but also probably as a function of, you know, the international uh, view of the conflict and as well, um, you know, how the Israelis, how much they can achieve basically from the skies. And again, the bombardment has very much continued into Gaza and southern Lebanon. We've also, on the diplomatic front, Oliver, had the latest uh, first comments, rather, from China's Foreign Minister Wang Yi. What should we read into what we heard from him? Yeah, so it's been interesting. The the first comments there, well, really the first contact at that level between the Israelis and the Chinese since the conflict began, there has been some discussion uh, from Wang Yi with other um, foreign ministers in the region. But this is the highest level of contact we've had since the beginning of the conflict. And really there, um, there was the notion that every nation has a right to self-defense, but there was also sympathy espoused for both the Israelis and Palestinians, and really saying that the number one interest needs to be to protect civilians. However, we had also heard from a readout from a call with the Saudi foreign minister between Wang Yi and the Saudis saying that basically the Israelis' actions had gone beyond self-defense and it needs to stop its collective punishment to the people of Gaza is what he had said there. And Xi Jinping himself has called for an immediate ceasefire. Oliver, a word too on what we heard from Israel's central bank as well, which uh, has been looking at the effect of the war on the economic outlook. Completely. And so we had a rate decision yesterday um, where rates were left unchanged, but we also had a a cut to the GDP forecast. Originally, Israel had expected to grow 3% this year, 3% next year. They've reduced that to 2.3% this year and 2.8% next year. And again, they've said that that is if things remain relatively contained, which is a big if. And I can tell you from just being here for the last two weeks, just in terms of activity on the ground, many, many, many businesses have been closed. Very few people in circulation. So certainly, there will be economic consequences, which is really a discussion that has taken the back burner with the primacy on the military. And a word on, you know, the Gaza economic situation, I think it's very, almost impossible to calculate the damage that's being done there. Okay, Oliver Crook in Tel Aviv, thank you very much for updating us on the story there this morning. The Capital Ideas Podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin. Investment professionals reveal their best mentors, how they find their next great idea, and a few funny stories. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. American Funds Distributors, Inc. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. 
Well, now turning to other news, Bloomberg has published its list of 25 British startups to watch, ranging from the digital bank Monzo to the to a wearable brain scanner maker. They've been picked time at Bloomberg's Technology Summit taking place in London today. Amy Thompson, who leads our team of technology reporters in London, joins us now for more. Amy, talk us through how you managed to devise this list. What were the key factors that made a startup stand out for you? Hey, morning. Yeah. Um, so uh, we are looking at companies who are doing something genuinely innovative, um, companies from uh, all over the UK, um, the diversity of uh, where they were coming from and the founder's background and the sorts of things that they were working on was really important. And uh, we were looking for um, companies that could really show us that they had gained some traction with customers or investors. Um, and, you know, when we put the call out back in the summer, I, I wasn't confident necessarily that we were that we were going to to get this because it was such a grim period for um, the tech industry globally that was back when we were seeing sort of all the job cuts from the big tech companies um, uh, companies that were able to raise money were doing down rounds um, but we were really really pleasantly surprised we got more than 1500 applications in the end and a lot of them were, were really really impressive and look there are some names in there people will know and some they don't yeah, exactly. So um, we've got some big brands um, like Monzo. We've got some high street brands like LV. Uh, and then we've got a lot of um, really interesting, uh, very sort of scientific companies, university spinouts. Um, you mentioned the wearable brain scanner, Circa Magnetics. We've got uh, Genomics. We've got a company that's um, making chips out of graphene, um, which is a really interesting sort of material science story. We've got uh, Chemify, which is digitizing chemistry to do um, molecule discovery. Uh, so we've got a lot of really, really interesting, interesting companies. Now, you mentioned sort of the backdrop to this being perhaps not the most optimistic. British politicians are very keen to talk up the UK's potential to be a tech hub. But what, what sort of trends did you uncover in these startups to watch? Um, yeah, I, I think, uh, like I said, we see a lot of strength out of the universities in the UK. Um, we saw a lot of um, great ideas that came from labs in Cambridge and Oxford and Leicester and Nottingham. Um, uh, so it, it seems like um, one of the big stories out of this is that the universities in the UK are um, really great incubators um, for some interesting companies. Um, what about the challenges, it, Amy, that they face in fundraising, though? It's something we often hear about companies leaving the UK to go to usually the US to raise more money. Yeah, I mean, it's it's not been a great year for fundraising. Um, I remember talking to VCs last Christmas, and a lot of them were saying, we're going to be really cautious this year, and that has definitely played out. Um, the last uh, pitch book report I saw said that uh, – funding was down something like 58% in the first mm. half of the year. Um, and, you know, similarly, exits dropped. We didn't see uh, the same kind of, you know, IPOs and sales. Um, uh, though it does seem like there is some okay. cautious optimism for next year. This is Bloomberg Daybreak Europe, your morning brief on the stories making news from London to Wall Street and beyond. Look for us on your podcast feed every morning on Apple, Spotify and anywhere you get your podcasts. You can also listen live each morning on London DAB Radio, the Bloomberg Business app and Bloomberg.com. Our flagship New York station is also available on your Amazon Alexa device. Just say, Alexa, play Bloomberg 1130. I'm Stephen Carroll. Join us again tomorrow for all the news you need to start your day right here on Bloomberg Daybreak Europe.
The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com.